0: Hey, Kristen.
1: Yeah, Jolenta.
0: I have to confess something to you. There is a diet that lives rent-free in my head. I think about it probably once a week.
1: Oh, God. There are like thousands of diets out there. Which one? I am so curious. Which one lives rent-free in your head? It's the tapeworm diet. Oh, God. (laughs) Really? The tapeworm diet? Oh God, that's the one where you literally ingest a tapeworm, right? Yes,
0: yes. Back when I was in high school, I would daydream about having a little worm in my guts that would absorb like most of the calories I took in. So I could just eat whatever I wanted.
1: <sighs> it is so gross. But also in our diet obsessed America, our I want to be skinny without trying America. Right. It exactly. Is, you know, weirdly it's the dream. understandable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's worm our way into this topic because I'm Jalanta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is How to Be Fine.
1: Each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a bit of advice for those who want it.
0: And reminder, all this month, we are doing our series, New Year, Same Old BS, where we do a deep dive into a different fad diet each week, explaining what its rules are, why it's problematic, where it came from, and why it's historically significant.
1: We also have a couple of great advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, jo Lenta, remind us, what is today's
0: BS diet? Today's BS diet is, of course, the tapeworm diet. Uh, yes, the
1: tapeworm diet, as we alluded to in the top, this actually involves swallowing a tapeworm. Honestly, jo Lenta, I don't know where one finds a tapeworm. I don't right. even know what a tapeworm looks like. I don't actually technically know what a tapeworm is. And I am so curious about why people decided to do this in the first place. Please give us all this disgusting information that we long for. Please. Let's
0: get into it. Let's get into it. (laughs) First, let's just talk about the diet. How do you get a tapeworm in you? Swallowing it sounds gross. Yes. (laughs) So apparently you can swallow a tapeworm egg or like a segment of a tapeworm that's been put in a capsule, sort of like a pill. That's that's how people ingest it. That's how, you know, most likely scammers are selling it online. It's like a little pill. But according to Healthline.com, The tapeworm diet is the same thing as a tapeworm infection, which is incredibly dangerous and can cause more harm than good. It's also still considered an infection, even if ingesting a tapeworm or its egg is voluntary. So like, it's just a tapeworm infection. It's whether or not you like gave it to yourself. Then it's the diet.
1: Got it. I listeners cannot hear, but my mouth has been wide open through all of this because I didn't realize it was in a capsule and I didn't realize in some cases it was just part of the tapeworm. So if it's just part of the tapeworm, that means the rest of the tapeworm grows in from that part of a tapeworm. And then, oh God, Jolenta. Oh God, Jolenta's nodding right now. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about a tapeworm because that'll (laughs) help you understand. So basically tapeworms are a kind of flatworm, and they're parasites. And they're these flat, sort of like a long fettuccine noodle.
1: Oh, God. God, I'm never going to eat fettuccine again. I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> but they're segmented. So it's like a fettuccine noodle with like score marks along mm-hmm. it, you know? And these segments, for the most part, just hold a bunch of eggs. So oh. when they say like a part of a tapeworm, it's like a bundle of eggs, most likely. Christian oh, is so grossed out. <gasps> she is like grimacing and she looks like she's being like, like punched in the gut once I'm in a while. I'm my- holding mice.
1: Stomach. My face is squished up like a raisin. Oh, my God. I'm
0: sorry. And <laughs> because these worms are parasites, they can only live inside of the intestine of a host. A host being a cow, a pig, a dog, even a person.
1: Um, hold on. What do you mean by live inside? Of? <laughs> Can you be clear when you say live inside? Right, you mean? right. So
0: they aren't just swimming around willy nilly. What they do is they latch on to the intestinal wall of their host with this little mouth that looks sort of like a suction cup that has a bunch of teeny little like pincher teeth all around it. It's scary. It's scary if you look it up. I want to post a picture on our Instagram, but I don't want to gross people out. Maybe I'll do like a slide before it, so like you know, slide at your own risk.
1: Or you can just show a screen grab of my face right now, which looks like a suction cup because I'm so horrified.
0: (laughs) It's sort of a gape, but you can see her teeth. Yeah, it's bad. (laughs) And so what it does is it sort of buries its head up in the intestinal wall and it absorbs nutrients from its host. And basically, as nutrients sort of pass it by in the intestine, it just sort of scoops up what it needs. And it just sits there and grows and grows and grows with new segments forming at the neck, sort of pushing the old ones down. And it just hangs out there, getting what it needs. And they can live for a long time, like years, in their host if left untreated. And from what I could find... They can grow as long as 12 feet or maybe <gasps> even 30 feet. Oh, my God. It's 30 feet? It's gross. Yeah. That's like really six long. times
1: the size of my height.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh. And so normally you would get a tapeworm infection by eating eggs or larva in uncooked or poorly cooked meat from an infected animal or by eating something that's been accidentally contaminated with feces that have eggs or larva in it. Because, you know, when something lives in your digestive tract and it wants to release babies, the easiest way for those babies to get out into the world is out your butt. Oh, oh, God. (laughs) I'm so sorry.
1: It is so disgusting. Please tell me, how did we go from knowing something is this disgusting Mm -hmm. to deliberately ingesting it.
0: Right. So we've known about them for a long time. I mean, these things are ancient. There are fossil tapeworms in shark poo that are around 270 million years old. So we've known about them for a long time. But the idea of using them for dieting isn't that old. It dates back to the Victorian era.
1: Okay, so for those who don't know, that's when Queen Victoria was alive, you know, Mm -hmm. the 1800s.
0: Yeah, late 1800s, turn of the century around there. And what made swallowing a tapeworm seem like a good idea to people in the Victorian era was the idea that they wanted to look like they had tuberculosis. Ah, uh, yes. Consumption. Right. Nothing as
1: sexy as the consumption. Right? I will say this because I've read a ton of literature from that era. They would frequently describe the glossy, translucent skin of people with consumption about right. glassy, kind of glowing eyes. Big, glassy eyes. Yeah slender, kind of willowy appearance. Right. It it really was described as the most terrible thing that could happen, but also oddly romantic and beautiful.
0: Yeah, this, like, beautiful, romantic death. Yes. And looking like you had tuberculosis was just, like, in fashion. It was basically the Victorian version of heroin chic, you know? Yeah. A TB infection attacks the lungs and other organs. It curbs your appetite and basically makes you waste away to death. And people infected with tuberculosis got really gaunt and pale. And by the time tuberculosis reached endemic levels, this look was becoming popular. According to Carolyn Day, a historian and author who spoke with the Smithsonian, before we knew how TB was spread, Consumption was thought to be caused by hereditary susceptibility and miasmas, or bad airs, in the environment. Among the upper class, one of the ways people judged a woman's predisposition to tuberculosis was by her attractiveness.
1: Oh my gosh, so the prettier you are, the more likely you are to get the consumption.
0: Right, exactly. So, like, it's something you want. Or someone wants to be like, oh, she looks like she's going to have TB later because that means, like, (laughs) you look good. And basically, in the Edwardian era, which is the early 1900s, Stories about thinning pills that had tapeworm eggs in them started making the rounds. Caroline Rantz, a writer with a special interest in the history of patent medicines and health fraud. Check out her website. It's very cool. Thequackdoctor.com. She says that the first mention of someone taking tapeworms to lose weight in the news was in 1912. And the story goes like this, Kristen. Picture it. Peoria, Illinois, 1912. A woman paid $25, which is roughly around $800 in today's money, for some weight loss pills. Rance says that the woman's husband sent the pills in to be analyzed by the Washington Public Health Service, and before long, a government secret official appears informing him that, that the pills contain the head and first link of the body of a tapeworm and sufficient nourishment to maintain life for probably a week.
1: So just to clarify here, does that mean the tapeworm was going to stay alive for a full week in her body?
0: No, I think that nourishment is for the tapeworm to stay alive while it's in the capsule itself, because once it's in your body, it latches into the intestinal lining and it's getting nourishment until you're taking, you know, antiparasitic medication and it's dying and you're pooing it out. Oh. oh. So that was just to keep it alive before it got in your body. Oh, gross. Right. Ugh. Okay, so that's
1: 1912.
0: Yeah, so then a couple of years later in 1914, a similar story is printed in the Ohio paper, the Marion Daily Star. This time, a woman paid a whopping $300 for tapeworm weight loss pills, and that's around $9,200 in today's money. Oof. So, yeah. And basically, from the early 1900s on, stories of, like, a woman being shocked to find she got diet pills with tapeworms or tapeworm eggs inside of them seems to surface, like, every few years, every decade or so, up until today. Oh, up until today. Oh, yeah. In the past 20 years, the tapeworm diet has made its way into popular culture for sure. In 2009, when Tyra Banks had her talk show, she dedicated an episode to talking about the horrors of the tapeworm diet. She starts the show by, like, taking a tape measure and just, like, pushing it all the way out to like 30 feet and like being all dramatic and being like, Oh my gosh, this is, could be inside of you. It was like a big to do. And I think that's when I started thinking about tapeworms again in my younger years. So Tyra wasn't quite succeeding in
1: making you not want to tapeworm.
0: <laughs> no, no. It made me more curious in 2013, a woman in Iowa went to her doctor because she was suffering from a tapeworm infection and confessed that she had bought the tapeworm online and swallowed it to lose weight. And in 2015, Khloe Kardashian famously said she wished she had a tapeworm when she was on her reality show Keeping Up With The Kardashians while talking to her then 19-year-old sister, Kylie. Yeah. Oh, God. She told Kylie, I would do anything to get a tapeworm. Do you know how skinny you get? I Googled it to see if I could really have one. Oh, God. What kind of older sister are you? A Kardashian one.
1: Well, also way too old to be talking to your teenage sister about this as if it's a good thing when it's a parasite. Yeah, Yeah.
0: like we know better. It's 2015, ladies.
1: Yes, yes. It's not 1912 anymore. Come
0: on. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's been 100 years or so. Yes. But here's where it gets super interesting. According to Caroline Rance, the woman who writes thequackdoctor.com, Not long after that 1912 story about tapeworm pills was published, the Washington Post published an article titled, Tapeworm Pills for Fat People, Merely a Wild Yarn, says Experts. Oh, no. Are you
1: saying that people were not actually ingesting tapeworms, even though our whole life you and I were told people used to ingest tapeworms, Jolenta? It
0: seems that way. The initial 1912 story mentioned, um, you know, the Washington Health Services. So the Washington Post went to the Surgeon General at the time for a comment and he said, yes, this is the public health service. All right. And I believe I am at the head of the service, but I have seen no tapeworm pills. The only way I have ever heard of people eating tapeworms, either wholly or in part, was by eating meat which contained them. It is a fine yarn, but simply untrue. What? Yeah.
1: This goes against everything I've ever known.
0: Same. No. But apparently there is no official record of this tapeworm pill thing being real. Rance thinks that these stories about women being so vain they do stupid things were popular during the turn of the century because they discredit women and make them seem sort of helpless and dumb and maybe like they shouldn't have the right to vote.
1: Oh, this is so fascinating. The whole idea of women being too flitty, too vain, too blank, too emotional, too caught up in the wrong priorities. I I feel like these things constantly circulate to deny women our rights, to deny our personhood in so many ways. And so it's so interesting that this thing that I always thought was very, very true may have all just been made up to make it clear women aren't smart enough to do things like vote.
0: Right, exactly. And it does seem like the majority of these stories are just fake, Kristen. A paper came out last year in the journal Parasitologia, and they did a wide-scope study of all literature about tapeworms and weight loss, and here's what they found. There are no case reports published in the literature about the consumption of tapeworms in pills or tablets, The discussion was solely based on rumors and fake news. Although its fame has spread over the last hundred years, the truth is that the claims in various media reports are not supported, and it is another one of the lies used for weight loss. It is clear that if one repeats a lie often enough, it becomes truth.
1: Ooh, yes. And that's why humans have never landed on the moon. (laughs)
0: Heyo, <laughs> or did they? <laughs> and what was cool is this study also debunked that sort of infamous tapeworm pill advertisement that looks all Victorian, that's always online. It's like the first thing that comes up. If you search the tapeworm diet, I'll put it on our Instagram. But basically, they debunk this poster or this this advertisement. It's not real. According to them, it was exposed as a fake poster due to the fact that the fonts and styles are anachronistic, and it was on show in the House on the Rock in Wisconsin, USA, which is known for its fake exhibits.
1: <gasps> okay, I just learned two things there. Uh, one, that ad that I have definitely seen before right? is fake, and two, that the House on the Rock is full of fake things. What? I'm sorry. I
0: didn't even know what the House on the Rock was.
1: Well, if you were in the Upper Midwest as much as I was growing up, you'd know that that place is supposed to not be fake. But apparently, wow, it's all fake. So much BS everywhere, Jolenta.
0: Right. So most of it's BS, although based on what I could find, it does seem like that 2013 story about the woman who got a tapeworm online and like went and confessed to her doctor. That's why she was having stomach problems. That does seem to be real. And I think it might be a case of an urban legend that's so intriguing. Some people go so far as to try to profit off of it by selling real or fake tapeworm pills And there's so much pressure to be thin, and the idea of being able to eat whatever you want without gaining weight is so appealing that some people are going to try it. Oh,
1: yeah. I can see that happening in in our world, and not just in today's modern world, but I feel like throughout history, if like I think back to snake oil salesmen. Exactly. Yeah, we want to believe it thus it somehow becomes a product and then people start taking it, right?
0: Right, yeah. So like it's made up and then it becomes real, but it's still not real. Yeah, yeah. But apparently you can still find people offering tapeworm capsules like on the dark web, which I don't know how to get into and I don't recommend doing it, but I tried it. What? I'm I'm kidding, I didn't try it. Oh, good, okay. okay. I did not try swallowing a tapeworm (laughs) and no one should, literally no medical professional I could find recommends it, But, of course, there was a BBC reporter who ignored all of that advice, and he tried it a few years ago. So I'll tell you about his experience.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes, I need to know.
0: Yes. So journalist and Dr. Michael Mosley swallowed some tapeworm larvae that was in infected beef for a documentary he was doing on different parasites and their effects on the body. And so a few weeks after swallowing the tapeworms, he swallowed a little pill camera And saw that there were three tapeworms attached to the lining of his intestine, each about a meter long.
1: No. Yes. No. How is anybody still listening to this episode? Listeners, we're so sorry. I'm sorry. It's
0: also very interesting. Okay, it is. And so, according (laughs) to the BBC, Dr. Mosley suffered no obvious effects from his infection, although he did put on about one kilogram in weight, which is 2.2 pounds any weight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he told the Telegraph that tapeworms have been traditionally associated with weight loss, but my weight went up, and I think the worm was actually encouraging me to eat more to keep itself alive. I think I ate a bit more, and I definitely wanted chocolate and carbohydrates. Oh, my gosh. You heard it here first. Worms are chocoholics.
1: Oh, my gosh. And also, I guess it makes sense that if a worm is still in your body and ingesting all this stuff then the weight is still in your body. It's just in yeah. the worm, which is in your body. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And you might be being prompted to eat more because your body's like, I'm not getting all these nutrients that you say you're putting in because someone's stealing yeah. them. Or in his case, three someones were stealing them. Ew. God. Yeah. So, you don't want a tapeworm infection. It's gross. It won't make you lose weight. And if you have one, you should get treated because they can lead to complications. Healthline.com says that average infections can cause abdominal pain, diarrhea, nausea, and a feeling of weakness. And the Mount Sinai website says that tapeworms can cause a blockage in the intestine, and they warn that sometimes tapeworm larvae can move out of the intestine. They can cause local growths and damage tissues such as the brain, eye, or heart. This condition is called cystocercosis, and this infection can also go to your brain and cause seizures and other nervous system problems.
1: Oh, God, I'm making that face again. I'm sorry. This face has been on me this whole time. It is terrible. All of this stuff is terrible. Right.
0: So you want to not get a tapeworm. Don't get it. It won't make you lose weight. And it's not worth the risk. And to avoid getting a tapeworm, Mount Sinai recommends the following. Try not to eat raw meat. Cook whole-cut meat to 145 degrees Fahrenheit, 63 Celsius, and ground meat to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, 71 Celsius. Use a food thermometer to measure the thickest part of the meat. And remember that freezing meat is not reliable because it may not kill all the eggs. And wash your hands well after using the toilet, especially after a bowel movement. So all in all, you don't want a tapeworm, and you should try not to get one. It's a fake diet, and it's not good for you. Oh, God. Oh, ew. And it's just
1: gross. It's so
0: gross. So after hearing all that, Kristen, you think you're going to try a tapeworm diet anytime soon? I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to eat
1: fettuccine again. That's I'm all sorry. I'm say. I
0: didn't mean to ruin it for you. It's just what it looks like to me. Oh, Listeners, God. we want to hear from you. Tell us, what are your thoughts on the tapeworm diet? Have you had a tapeworm? What was it like? Are you okay? Have you heard a good urban legend about a tapeworm diet? Let us know at Kristen Angelenta at gmail.com or facebook.com slash groups slash Angelenta.
1: Coming up, after I scrub my brain from this entire segment, <laughs> we hear from a letter writer who's got a question about body acceptance. Hey, everyone. We're back with our first letter of the day. Jolenta, what do they have to say?
0: Our first letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, Between remote work during COVID and being fortunate enough to have had a full year of maternity leave, I'm getting ready to head back to work in person. I attempted to go work clothing shopping today and ended up crying in the changing room. When I left work, I was a size six eight, and now I'm in a 12 or 14. It's not a small change. I have no idea how to dress my new body. I was overwhelmed by my insecurities and self-criticism. The attempt has also uncovered some internalized misogyny and fat phobia about what it is to look professional. I follow lots of creators that have similar bodies to my new body, and I think they look great, but apparently I hold myself to a different standard. How can I work towards accepting my new figure?
1: Well, first of all, I want to say to this letter writer— you're not alone. I think a lot no. of our bodies have changed in the last few years. Jolente, yours has. Mine has. Big the time. size of our bodies, oh, what our totally. bodies are doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's this work from home life or I believe other people have experienced this, that being on chemo medication makes you actually gain a little weight. But like, I am definitely sizing up right now.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's a reason why a lot of people called it the COVID-19, meaning the weight that a lot of Mm -hmm. us
0: put on during COVID. Yeah. It's more than the freshman 15, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. But also, we survived. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm. I just want to point this out again and again. I don't mean to sound flippant or like I'm not treating your question seriously, letter writer, but in the grand scheme of things, putting on some weight is so small compared to surviving. We are so... Mm -hmm. lucky to be here. And I understand we live in a world that tells women that any pound we put on makes us less desirable. People will view us as lazy. We are ugly. There's all these things that are attached to having weight on us, which frankly, we all know aren't true. And Mm -hmm. letter writer, you know these things aren't true. You've said it yourself. You know this isn't true. These are things about your own internalized fat phobia and misogyny that are coming to the fore right now. None of this is true. So I would say, first and foremost, I think you're already on the right track by knowing that these intrusive thoughts you're getting about your body. You know these intrusive thoughts are BS. They're just complete crap. They're not telling you the truth. These thoughts are based on propaganda from the diet industry, from advertisers, from products being pushed on us, from Hollywood, from a lot of places. And your value, your worth, your beauty your productivity, none of this is based on your size in the slightest. You already know this, so you already are on the right path, I think, to battling this and and maybe being a little kinder to others than yourself. I'd also say you're on the right track because you're already following different social media figures who have similar body types to yours. I like to do that myself and just see like, oh, how does somebody dress themselves who is my current shape or size? And I think that for me, at least, that can be really helpful because most of these people who are influencers, also in my mind, they look so confident and beautiful and it doesn't matter what size they are. They just look great to me. So I -hmm. think that's also a great basis to start moving forward. And so you're already on the right track by recognizing that these thoughts are wrong and that there are other beautiful people out there that you can follow for some inspiration.
0: And like, not only did you survive and you're like making it back to work, you survived and like made a freaking life in your body. So you gotta Mm -hmm. go easy on yourself. Like your body did something that will change it forever and you don't need to beat it up for that. It's just doing its job. And and I would also recommend, since it seems like you sort of have a very good understanding of where this is coming from, you know, internalized misogyny and fat phobia, think about would you talk to a friend the way you criticize yourself and try to sort of pause yourself right there and be like, wait, would I tell a friend this? No, no, I would not. I would not be this hard on them. I would love on them and like give them grace and tell them they're beautiful because they are. That definitely helps me when I kind of have a double standard for myself about like, of course, they're beautiful, but like, I'm a piece of shit. You have to be like, wait, wait a minute. Like, there's no way I would talk to anyone I care about this way. So I at least need to pretend I care about myself or like fake it till I make it and like maybe not be so hard on myself. So I find it's a good way to sort of stop that negative self-talk and sort of reassess it and remember like it's not a fact like Kristen said it's just sort of a thought that's been fed to you by you know society at large and remind yourself like hey I deserve love and if I were my friend there's no way I'd be talking shit to myself like this
1: yeah I think all of that is such good advice I also would suggest to really, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what you said, Jolenta, about your body has done something amazing. You you gave birth to a child. But continue to think about the amazing things your body does every day. You know, one thing I try to do is when I wake up in the morning, think about like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful my lungs are working today. Because honestly, sometimes my lungs don't work very well at all. Jolenta, you know, I've been in the hospital because right. these lungs, yeah. you know, they do the best they can, but sometimes they're not sometimes doing so Sometimes they great. need an inhaler. Yeah, exactly. I I was just using my nebulizer this morning. Yeah, But, you know, sometimes it's just wonderful to give thought to, isn't it a miracle that my body does all that it does every day? There are so many internal systems that could go right or wrong every day. And then when things go right, it's kind of miraculous, I think. Right. When it gestates a baby, in your case. When it allows you to eat food, when it allows you to breathe or go to the bathroom. I mean, there's all these great things our bodies do. And I just think about this sometimes about how shocking it is that our bodies, for the most part, function as well as they do as right? often as they do. Right?
0: There's so many systems that work. If we were an iPhone, we would have died a billion times by now. Oh,
1: my God. So many times. And then they would have made us pay again. I know. That's then what we would do. have had to
0: buy ourselves all over again for hundreds of dollars. It would be a mess.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, if you can, focus a little bit more on how amazing it is that your body does what it does. Maybe make yourself, you know, stretch your arms toward the ceiling and feel how good that feels on your back and your arms. You know, do different things with your body. Appreciate that you have taste buds. You know, enjoy your body for what it's capable of and maybe focus a little bit less on what it looks like, even though, you know, those influencers can be helpful. Finding cute clothes can be helpful, but also maybe fixate on that a little bit less. Maybe, you know, if you have some full-length mirrors that you keep passing by and looking at, maybe take down those full-length mirrors and look at those a little bit less. Maybe that magnifying mirror you use to Mm. put on makeup every day, maybe don't use the magnifying side. Just use the regular mirror instead. You know, these little tricks and tips can be really useful to take us away from scrutinizing what our body looks like and enjoy more just being in our bodies. Good call.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, would you take a second to rate us and review us in your podcast play or wherever you're listening? You can usually just look down, hit five stars, write a little ditty about what you like about the show, what you want us to cover on the show, and we'll know what you're thinking. We would
1: be so grateful. Coming up, a letter writer has got a question about love. Stay with us.
0: Okay, we are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, would you read this one, please?
1: Yes, our second letter writer says, Dear Kristen Jolenta, do
0: you ever get over unrequited love? I love this question. So simple, so poignant. So to the point, yeah. So, yeah, just like so direct. Do you ever get over unrequited love? My personal answer would be yes, in time. Would you agree, Kristen? Yeah,
1: I absolutely do. And I'll be frank with you. I used to love unrequited love. Me too. When I was a teenager, I thought, oh, if only they loved me back. If only they love me back. Right. But there was something about the intensity of it being one-sided that I think I also fed off of in some sort mm, of overly dramatic, crazed way. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because that way it can be whatever you want or need it to be or Mm -hmm. anticipate it to be in your head. And you don't have to get any real-world answers that could be no or get in any real-world trouble if like that person is not on the market. Yeah, yeah.
1: Back to the question for a second. Yes. Our letter writer is saying, do you ever get over unrequited love. I want to say something here to the letter writer. You're asking the question, do you ever get over unrequited love as if this is a universal? Mm. I am guessing you're asking this question because you want to know, can I ever get over unrequited love? Yeah. I think that's a fair assumption, right, Jolenta?
0: Yes, I would agree.
1: Yeah. And if the question is, can I ever get over unrequited love? Well, the question is that I'm going to ask back, do you want to? do you want to get over unrequited love? And I, I think that that is oftentimes the case when it comes to matters of love, whether it's love for a partner who is with us day to day, who lives under the same roof, or whether it is love that's unrequited. The question comes up, do I want to love this person anymore? And I think if your answer is, I don't want to love this person anymore, it's causing me too much pain and heartache. It makes me feel silly that, I am not searching out love for somebody who can actually reciprocate. If it's causing all of these things and you want to get over this unrequited love, I believe you can. Because wanting to get over it, I believe, is the first step to getting over it. And sometimes we might need help with that. Sometimes we might need to talk to a therapist. Sometimes we might need to swap stories with our friends night after night over coffee or a glass of wine talking about all of the unrequited loves we've had in our lives. And sometimes just sharing stories can make a huge difference. Maybe we need to read a lot of novels and self-help books about different versions of love in this world. Or maybe we need to get to the point, maybe with help from others, where we realize we're worthy of requited love. And we don't need to waste our energy on people who aren't going to love us back. And maybe it's not so romantic To have one sided love. Maybe it's not worth your emotional energy and your heart and your soul. And if we start looking at unrequited love from all of these different angles, I think that we absolutely can get over unrequited love. And you, listener, in particular, I think you can get over it.
0: I totally agree. And I'm going to go back to my personal experience because that's the only thing I can I can speak about when it comes to love. I have found that my unrequited love usually comes on pretty strong during like a phase of life. And often when I'm out of that phase, when I'm not like clinging to the same values or like idealizing the same things anymore, that's when I can kind of let go of that unrequited love. But, you know, like I found when I was an undergrad studying acting, I had some unrequited love for like an actor I met at some benefit that I was volunteering at. And, you know, once I sort of got out of the idealizing people who aren't in school and are like trying to make a living in acting, I was like, oh, I'm not as obsessed with this person as I thought I was. I was just sort of obsessed with their lifestyle and their vibe and Once you sort of grow past, like, what you're yearning for in life, I feel like that helps you sort of grow out of what you're yearning for in the unrequited love scenario. And also... As someone who has had the weird fortune of sleeping with two people who were unrequited loves, like, long after they were unrequited loves, I can tell you the sex was always bad. And and they're always, like, way weirder, way less romantic, way creepier than you remembered thinking they were. And it's just... It's never good. It's never been good for me. I've only done it twice, but both times it's been like, ooh, what am I doing? I regret that. It was better back, you know, 10 years ago when I had you on a pedestal. (laughs) So also just try to think of it that way. You know, in real life, if you slept with them, for all you know, it could be awful. The chemistry could totally not be there. And like... (laughs) I know it sounds weird to be like, it's a phase, but like, usually it is. And sort of ask yourself, like, what am I drawn to about this person? Because that's sort of what I'm wanting in my life. And it doesn't necessarily mm. have to be in, in the form of that person. You know, you can yeah. find it elsewhere with friends, with activities, with other random dates. So I believe in you and I believe that you do get over unrequited love.
1: Yeah. I second that. You've got this letter, writer. You can get over that unrequited love and make room for love that will be requited.
0: And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our amazing production team, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer slash engineer, Casey Holford.
1: Reminder, you can always weigh in on the conversation at facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen and Jolenta. You can also join our Patreon community. It's a wonderful community. And when you join, you can get a special weekly episode where Jolenta and I talk about what we're reading. Every week, we talk about what book or article or self-help tome or fiction bestseller we just wrapped up reading. And it's always a joy. That's patreon.com slash listen
0: to buy the book. Until next time, I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Until then, stay fine. Stitcher.